Welcome to Harlow on Healthcare. I'm David Harlow, and I invite you to join me by my virtual hearth as I sit down with healthcare leaders to discuss building the future of healthcare. Today, my guest is Dr. Lissy Hu, the president of Connected Networks at WellSky, the continuation of her work at Careport Company that she founded and that was acquired by WellSky. Lissy, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, David. It's a pleasure. So give us a little bit of an introduction here to your work. Generally speaking, I understand that it is focused on care coordination and transitions of care, case management, supporting case managers in the continuum of care that exists in our healthcare system. But let's take it from there. Where do you come into the picture? Where does your work come into the picture? Sure, that's great. And as a longtime listener of, of your podcast, I'm, I'm really pleased to have the opportunity to speak with you today and grateful for the opportunity to talk about care coordination, which has been our mission in terms of trying to connect the different care settings across the care continuum. So as you mentioned, I'm, I'm the president of Connected Networks at WellSky. WellSky is a technology services analytics company that is focused on connecting providers and payers all across the continuum, whether they are hospitals, acute providers, post-acute home-based providers, such as home health agencies, hospices, skilled nursing facilities, health plans, or community-based organizations, such as areas of aging and elderly services. And where Careport comes in, is facilitating that transition out of the hospital into the post-acute care setting. This is not getting simpler as time goes on, right? The notion of a simple one-stop shop, one-size-fits-all doesn't really exist in this day and age. And I would hazard to guess that that is in part driven by the change over time in lengths of stay in acute care facilities, right? As those get shorter, there's a wider variety of things that need to happen post-discharge. Is that a fair statement? That's right. And just to, if I could add a bit of color there, I think that we're living in this very interesting but very challenging time in healthcare. I think that what we know is we're seeing this significant, tremendous demographic shift in U.S. society in terms of the the baby boomers aging into Medicare, 10,000 baby boomers aging into Medicare every single day, the silver tsunami, as folks have called it. And at the same time, what we're also seeing is, is that the hospitals, as you mentioned, are under a lot of pressure to decrease their length of stay and as healthcare costs continue to rise, what we all want as a society is to be able to get patients to levels of care that are more inexpensive, that have higher value. So any patient that doesn't need to be in the hospital absolutely need to be in the hospital because that's our highest cost setting of care. We'd like for them to go to the places where they can recover that's, that's at a lower cost. And so the hospitals are under tremendous pressure to get patients out of their doors as quickly as possible. Patients themselves don't want to stay 
in the hospital any longer than, than they absolutely have to. And as patients get older and there's more chronic disease in our society, more diabetes, more heart failure, more obesity, there are sicker patients going into the hospital than ever. So you have an aging population, a higher acuity patient population, lots of pressure to get the patient out of the hospital. And so what that means is when we are trying to transition patients out of the hospital, we need to find places for them to go. And so think about the patient that goes into the hospital, maybe broke their hip and they had a surgery to repair their hip. And now all of a sudden the question is, well, can they go home? And for many, many patients, the answer is no, or at least no, not right away. Patients will need to have rehab. And while they're having rehab, for example, who's going to take care of not just their wound, help them with their physical therapy, but also thinking about things like how do they get dressed? How do they get food? How do they go to doctor's appointments? And so all of that needs to be coordinated before the patient can leave the hospital. And that is a very, very common scenario. I can name a hundred other scenarios of patients coming to the hospital where the answer to them leaving the hospital is not just to go home on their own and go back to their normal state of living prior to coming to the hospital. It's, it's the fact that they'll need all these services in order to be able to recover in their home or in a nursing home. One question that comes to mind is in an ever-increasing environment of value-based care or coordinated care or ACOs, shared savings arrangements, and global payments for courses of care, the question becomes, to what extent is this or can this be baked in up front, right, with a network of providers involving an acute care facility, a surgeon, a rehab facility, an outpatient rehab facility? Isn't this all baked in, or is this a question of the future not being evenly distributed? Well, I think you raise a really good point, which is that in a fee-for-service system, getting the patient out of the door and turning over the bed was really important, is really important, right? That's, that's an efficiency question. But in a value-based setting, whether it's bundled payments, ACOs, what have you, the quality of that transition really matters. And so what that means is For example, the cost of a nursing home stay is oftentimes 10 times as expensive as sending the patient home. And so there's decisions that have to be made intelligently about, does the patient really need to go to a nursing home? Can they go home? On the other hand, if the patient goes home and they don't have the right services in place, then that patient is at high risk for readmissions, which is also very costly. And so when you think about how to do these transitions in a value-based system, you have to not only think about how can we make this process more efficient, how do we make it less manual so that we can get patients out the door much more quickly and efficiently, but you also have to think about the quality and adding intelligence to the process so that you're not just getting the patient out the door efficiently, but getting them to the best quality post-acute provider, getting them to the best level of care and the best match services for that patient and also services that are covered by their insurance plan and that are in network. And so there's a, there's a lot of considerations involved when you're thinking about 
value-based payment models. And we know that increasingly providers who are in value-based payment models are really, really focused on getting this transition and getting this post-acute transition coordination right. Because what we know is that post-acute care as a general category of spend is about a quarter of the spend for Medicare patients, but it drives, well, it's only about a quarter of the spend. And I say only in sort of, you know, quotation marks because 25% of Medicare spend is a big number, billions and billions of dollars. But at the same time, not only is it 25% of the spend, it drives almost three quarters of the variation in spend. And what that means is, is that why one Medicare beneficiary costs more than another when you try to explain that, 73% of that variation can be explained by differences in their post-acute care utilization. And so that means what setting of care do they go to? Do they go nursing home or home health? Quality of that nursing home or home health agency, there's large variances in the quality of nursing homes and the outcomes that the post-acute providers deliver for these patients. Well, that's fascinating. And that highlights the need to apply some analytics here. And I think as part of your introduction, you described the platform as an analytics platform. So what role do predictive analytics play in helping case managers find the right site of care for a particular patient? What, what kind of data set are you drawing on here and how does that relate to use of the tool in the real world? I think data is so important in helping to drive some of these decisions in terms of guiding what is the right level of care or what is the best provider for that patient. I remember when I was a medical student as early as when I was in my third year of medical school working at some of these Boston hospitals, what we would often encounter is patients would come into the hospital, they would have their hip surgery, they would get better, and the case manager would give them a list of names and addresses that had been Xeroxed a thousand times. Here's the list of nursing homes, here's their address, here's their phone number. And that was really all the information that patients would have to make these decisions on. Such a critical decision around where mom or dad or their loved one is going to be for the next two, three, four weeks, maybe maybe even longer months at a time as they're, as they're recovering and on their path to going home or maybe this recovery center becomes their residential setting as well. And understandably, patients looked at this piece of paper and said, oh my goodness, how do I make this decision with just this information? You know, you try Googling nursing homes in Boston or, or wherever and you see, you know, a mishmash of stuff. And there's really very little sort of good information out there on the quality of, of nursing homes. And some of it's gotten better, of course, with Medicare five-star ratings and some of the publicly available information out there. But for the most part, people are making these decisions very blindly. And I remember as, as a medical student, a family member, usually it was a daughter or son, would ask me, and oftentimes they weren't even living in the area anymore, they would ask me, hey, where would you send my mom if it were you? And as a third-year medical student, but also as, a, as I saw, you know, physicians, case managers, they didn't really have better information than this list. And so it was really frustrating for a provider because you didn't really have good information to help guide uh, your patients. 
And so the, when I started to think about how to make this process better, because at the same time that this was happening in the hospital, I'm out in the world, you know, I have access to TripAdvisor, Hotels.com, Airbnb, all these apps where you could find out so much information about hotels or restaurants halfway around the world. And yet you couldn't have, you could barely get any information about the nursing home down the street. So I thought there really must be a better way to do this. And so that was a lot of the genesis for, for CarePort is how do we take data for nursing homes, home health agencies, all of these post-acute settings of care and bring that data together so that you can guide these decisions, um, help patients as they're figuring out where they can recover and what's the best provider. And over time, we are now at over 2,000 hospitals, over 130,000 different post-acute providers. And so we have huge amounts of data on these facilities, on these providers. We do something like 40 million transitions annually. And so we have a lot of data on where patients go, what happens to them, where they do well, what is the optimal place and pathway for somebody with recovering from heart failure versus diabetes versus COPD. And so a lot of our vision which has now been realized, is to bring that data to bear for every single one of these patients coming in the hospital so that they could have the right information to make the best decisions uh, for their loved ones and empower the providers to be able to share that information with patients and families in these very vulnerable moments and trying to make decisions very quickly as well. If you're just tuning in, this is Harlow on Healthcare coming to you on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm David Harlow. And my guest today is Dr. Lissy Hu, President, Connected Networks at WellSky. Lissy, we've come a long way from that 20th generation Xerox list of nursing homes. I remember seeing those too, unfortunately. And the place where we're at now, informed by such a rich amount of data and texture and depth of data here is a tremendous step forward. And I guess the question is, how does that interact with a particular patient's health insurance coverage profile, right? Because often the issue is, well, you know, this would be a great facility for someone to go to, but not covered by my insurance, or this would be a great outpatient therapy practice to go to not covered by my insurance. And for whatever reason, the covered provider directory problem is just a problem that hasn't really been well solved in healthcare. And I'm wondering how you interact with that problem and where you see that going. That's a great point, David, because on the one hand, you want to give patients choice. Everybody wants information about the home health agencies that can service them, the hospices, the dialysis facilities, the nursing homes, but you're not really giving patients choice if it's not tuned to their insurance. It's not tuned to their particular clinical needs, right? So to your point, some nursing homes can only accept this particular insurance product. And they can only take, they may only have a bed, let's say, for a female patient that also needs, they need a bariatric bed, and they also need hemodialysis on site. 
And so there's only maybe a number of facilities that can sort of meet that criteria. And so a lot of what we do is uh, because we're hooked into electronic health records, we're hooked into data from state surveys, we're hooked into data from health information exchanges, we're hooked into data from all sorts of places, we bring that data together to help really match patients to providers that are true, what we say, truly available to them, ones that can take their insurance, ones that can meet their clinical services, and ones that are high quality for their given conditions and tuned to their recovery process. So that's a lot of what we do. And because this is an industry, post-acute is a, is a highly fragmented market, you know, tens of thousands of mom and pop providers, as well as large providers, lots of turnover in this industry, that data is complex to maintain. There's a lot of changes, consolidation in the marketplace, places going out of business, merging, consolidating. And so all of that has to be kept up to date. And that's one of the primary services that we provide is to make sure that that information is up to date so that patients can make decisions with, um, with the best information and the most up-to-date information. So there's that information that's needed at that particular point in time, but I guess there's another aspect to all of this, which would be facilitating communication amongst patients, providers, payers, providers, both discharging and the accepting facilities, destination facilities. And I imagine that that's not just a single point in time sort of communication. I wonder if you could shed some light on that. Yeah, that's right. And and the reason why, to your point, it's not a single point in time is, is that patients, oftentimes they have multiple transitions, right? You think about the patient coming out of the hospital, then they go to a nursing home, and then from there they go home with home health. Uh, sometimes they get readmitted back to the hospital, and then they go back to a nursing home, and then they go home, and then they may get on hospice. And so when we think about the average patient experience, oftentimes they have three, four, five, six transitions, especially for your more uh, complex elderly patients who have a lot of different needs and for different services. And so one of the things that we've thought a lot about in terms of, to your point, enabling is how do we facilitate ongoing communication and transparency into the care that patients are receiving and that means, for example, we were plugged into the electronic health record of a nursing home as well as a home health agency. So the, the hospital can make the referral to the, to the nursing home. The nursing home can say yes, or the hospital can make the referral to the home health agency and the home health agency says yes. But does the home health agency actually go to the patient's home and get a visit scheduled within 24 or 48 hours of discharge? Sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes it's because, you know, the patient's confused and, and they go home and they say, who, who are you? Why are you coming to my home? Right. And so we need to make sure that if, if a patient's not getting that visit, even though there was a referral made because that patient needs it, that that information gets surfaced to the care coordination team, to the doctor, to the physician, so that they can really close the loop. And so when we think about a high, a high quality transition, It's not just about sending out the referral into the ether and then that's it. 
It's really about making sure that the services were delivered, that they were delivered on a timely basis. And if the patient gets readmitted for the hospital, that's something that's really important for the home health agency to know, right? Because then they know not to go out to that patient's home because the patient's back from the hospital. And maybe they need to alter their care plan, knowing that the patient has gone back to the hospital and what needs to happen differently if the patient goes home again. So there's a lot of ongoing care coordination. And traditionally, I would say there's really been not a lot of technologies that facilitate that bi-directional communication and information flow between hospitals and and post-acute providers. It was very much, you know, I'm on my own electronic health record as a hospital, or I'm on my own electronic health record as a nursing home or home health agency. And so a lot of that connective tissue hasn't been there. And so a lot lot of care port has been to create that connective tissue and enable these post-acute and and acute and ambulatory providers to to be in dialogue with, with one another and be in sync on the care of their shared patients. Great. So is the access to that messaging within somebody's home portal, so to speak, within an EHR, or is it through a separate portal? We are integrated to the EHR. You know, I think it's really important that we try to do as much to keep providers in their workflow as possible. And so we are integrated into the EHRs on both the acute and the post-acute care side to try to really reduce what we call provider abrasion and portal fatigue that a lot of providers right. uh, have. Portalitis. Right, <laughs> exactly. I have to remember that. Great. So I wanted to ask if you saw a change in the way your tools were being used as we went into the pandemic and another change perhaps as we are, I hope, coming out of the pandemic? That is a great question because I think that it's a a really insightful question because I think that the pandemic has really changed how we deliver healthcare in a million different ways and care coordination is, is no different. So one of the things, for example, that we've seen out of the pandemic, we did a care coordination survey earlier this year in March where we surveyed care, care coordination leaders in our customer base, both on the acute and post-acute care side. And we asked them about their top challenges and struggles uh, when coordinating care across the continuum. And one of the things that came out that from both the acute and post-acute care side is, is that what they're seeing is just huge amounts of higher complexity patients that they're seeing at workforce challenges on top of that. And so, for example, 70% of our hospital respondents indicated that these transition, these referral challenges are driving up length of stay. And if you've heard some of the earnings calls from the largest healthcare systems, such as HCA, others, they're all talking about the challenge of length of stay and being able to discharge patients and care management out of the hospital We're also seeing, you know, 63% of hospitals reported that they're experiencing clinician burnout and staffing burnout. That was mirrored on the post-acute care side. They said there's really limited staff to manage referrals, which is leading to higher referral rejection rates. 73% of them said that they were declining referrals because they didn't have staff to service these patients coming out of hospitals. And so that's a long way of saying 
I think the pandemic has in some ways made it more challenging to get patients to that next level of care because you have higher complexity patients and you've got more limitations on staff across the acute and and, and post-acute care spectrum. And at the same time, while this is all happening, what we also saw was that as the pandemic, one of the hardest hit industries was nursing homes. And so a lot of patients decided that they wanted to go home. And what we know about patients who go home is, is that it's a more complex transition, right? So think about, you can think about your nursing homes almost like one-stop shopping. They go to the nursing home, they have their doctors there, their food is there, their physical therapy is there, their nursing is there, everything's in one place. Now think about that patient that is going home. All of those things have to be coordinated a la carte, right? You've got to figure out how are they going to get their food? Who's going to bathe them? How are they, how are they going to go to their toilet? Um, How do they get physical therapy? How do they get to the doctor's appointment? How do they get their medications? So all of that has to be now coordinated sort of one by one by one. That's a long way of saying what, what we're seeing coming out of the pandemic is this continued preference to home. And I think that that is a good thing and we need to figure out more and more ways to um, support that, but it is a more complex transition. And so we're trying to figure out how do we support more complex patients who want to go home That's a more complex transition. And on top of that, we're still facing worsening staff shortages and clinician burnout in acute, post-acute, all across the provider industry. And so in some ways, I think coming out of the pandemic, what we're all faced with is the need for more technology, the need for more of this connective tissue to facilitate many of these transitions, because these are problems that we can't hire a way out of, right? There's literally not enough nurses that we can just hire to, to do more care coordination. We've got to figure out in some ways how to do more with less. And that is the promise, I think, of technology and analytics. Well, to wrap things up, I wanted to ask, if you were to wake up tomorrow and find yourself five years in the future, what's one thing in healthcare that you would hope or maybe expect to find has changed drastically? I think that in five years, I would like to see the transition from the hospital out into the community as seamless as the transition from the ED up to the inpatient unit. That's what we should be striving for, the transition where it feels like you're just moving up a floor of a building rather than going to, you know, another building, another setting of care. That's what patients deserve. And that's what we should aspire to, even though the nursing home, the home health agency, the skilled nursing facility, the the hospital, we're all in different buildings. We need to act like we're one organism. That's what every patient deserves. And we're going to see more and more of these transitions going forward just given our aging population and our preference and our desire to recover and age in the home. Well, that's a great vision of smoother transitions in the future. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate the time. You have been listening to Harlow on Healthcare. Join us at healthcarenowradio.com. Let's continue the conversation on building the future of healthcare together at hashtag Harlow on HC. I'm David Harlow, keeping the fire going and holding a seat open for you. Until next time. <laughs>